Tantric Conversation, episode number three, Randy Robinson. Randy Robinson is currently uh, lead singer of a Turbo Negro tribute band called the Apocalypse Dudes, as well as the lead singer of a outlaw country tribute band called Barstool Heroes. Um, I've known Randy since early 2000s when we met and formed a band together that was kind of a continuance of a band he'd had going previously called the Devil Tones. I played with Randy for three years. Uh, We recorded an EP, a bunch of tracks together, did a bunch of shows, toured around. We're in one of those great uh, beer-soaked, mayhem kind of rock and roll bands. Um, I uh, personally got into that band with Randy because I I just wanted some kind of an experience. Um, I didn't really ever think it was going to go anywhere. I just wanted to... I just wanted to plug in and rock out with some guys, maybe go play some shows out of town, you know, beer drinking and hell raising kind of thing. Um, Randy was about a lot more uh, directed and uh, organized than that, really like saw being in a rock band as a business and something you had to, you had to handle a certain way uh, if you were going to keep doing it. And uh, I guess I learned a lot from that experience. Didn't ultimately work out for me. I ended up quitting and moving to uh, moving to California with a job I had at the time. And Devil Tones went on without me for a few years. Um, but Devil Tones aside, I I think Randy is a is a unique individual. I mean, he is he pretty much walks it like he talks it. He is a hundred percent rock and roll in that way that guys put on they put on the act. They get up on stage and uh, and you know, put on the clothes, grow out, grow out the hair, put on the hat, whatever. But uh, Randy really is that guy. Um, we talk a lot about his uh, proclivity to solve problems with his fists on occasion. Um, I'm really interested in that because it's not the kind of guy I am, and I'm interested in it because I like to reconcile the guy I know him to be, which is you know he's a very kind, good dude. But uh, he believes and has believed for a long time that um, sometimes the only way to solve something when somebody's crossed the line is to push him back across the line. Um, one of the things about this uh, interview that, I don't know, it's kind of bugging me, is that I went into it with you know certain assumptions about Randy, even though I hadn't been around him for five years, and... Um, he's telling me stuff and I'm not listening because I'm, <laughs> I'm committed to a different script. And, um, for instance, I mean, he, after leaving West Virginia, he moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I knew he had lived in Charlotte, so I kept not hearing that part about Charleston, South Carolina in the story. Um, and overall, I think that as I listen back to this, Randy's telling one story and I'm, uh, on some level hearing another. Um, I think he's he's grown up quite a bit, and he still really is that character I've always known him to be. But he's recently, in this story he tells a couple of times in this two-part interview, recently had an experience that has changed his outlook on uh, on life. Is um, you might even call it, for lack of a better word, some kind of spiritual awakening. Um, and 
we talked about it after the interview, and I don't know how much of it we really get at uh, explicitly in this interview, but I think if you you listen and follow what Randy's saying and to some degree forgive the fact that I'm missing it, um, you'll hear it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's worth listening to. So anyway, this is a... We did two parts. We did a first part where we were really just kind of talking about bands and stuff, and we did a second part where we got a little bit more into those problematic aspects of, um, you know, being a tough guy and 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 you know what what place is there for that kind of old school you know barroom brawler gunslinger kind of attitude, if any, in this day and age, if there ever was. Um, I got to say, you know, I don't believe in violence. I don't believe in violence as a way to solve problems personally. But uh, I've always kind of liked that Randy was somebody who did that was in my world. And when I was in a band with him, there was a part of me that uh, got off on uh, watching him wield uh, what he wielded. I mean, he's uh, he's just not to be fucked with, basically. <laughs> and there aren't, you know, there aren't a lot of guys around that are that black and white about stuff you know it's that it's that you know it's that simple really i mean we people talk a lot of shit they don't want to back up with uh anything you know it's they got a different story for everybody but it's not randy man what you see is what you get and uh so without further ado let's get to it so i'm here with my old friend and bandmate uh sir Randy Robinson, old scratch himself. How you doing, Randy? Doing all right, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while since we've uh, seen each other. Yeah. Sat down and talked. I think last time was Apocalypse Dudes, like maybe two years ago. Yeah, it's been a minute for sure. So what have you been up to? Working and loving, man. What are the bands these days? you got Apocalypse Dudes, which is a what? Tell me about Apocalypse Dudes. Uh, Apocalypse Dudes is basically the world's greatest tribute to Turbo Negro, which happens to be the world's greatest formula rock and roll band of its time. World's greatest formula rock and roll band? <clears throat> yeah, it's um, they basically what they've achieved in their um, several years of playing together is uh, taking the the formula rock and roll to um, perfection. They basically pick a band, mimic it. And make it their own and uh, rock out. So Turbo Negro did that? Their formula? I believe so. That's what they say. I've never heard that term before. Do you, like, I've heard it, you know. I mean, I understand it's like kind of a, uh, they have a gimmick, right? But who are they Who are they imitating? Well, it depends on which song you listen to. I mean, yeah. it goes from Alice Cooper to the Stooges to the Ramones to ACDC to lots of bands a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, there's times where I'm listening to it when the guitar starts I think we're doing a Black Flag song and uh, I see people get excited and then they then they get even more excited when we bust into the Turbo Negro song so I want to come back to uh, the cover band thing uh, where did you where did you come from originally where were you born I was born in Charleston West Virginia how long did you live there until I was 15 I moved out and moved to Charleston South Carolina tell me about the uh, formative years there what, what was your what did your dad do? And tell me your story. You know, my dad drank and smoked a lot, and uh, didn't come home at all. Kind of like Alice Cooper song. Um, 
He did odd jobs, did some construction work, worked in bars, played some music. Um, I believe he sold some drugs and uh, didn't do a whole lot to account or amount to much anyway. Uh, how would you have what kind of relationship you had with him? You guys tight? You know, was he an influence on you at all? Like, what drove you into the life of rock and roll? Did he have anything to do with that? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, he was a rock and roller. Um, he, he had a wide variety of music that he listened to, and it was, uh, it was the 70s, so, uh, yeah, he would uh, scare me with Alice Cooper album covers, and, uh, you know, I loved Kiss because, you know, they were like a cartoon with rock and roll soundtrack, and uh, he also listened to a lot of, uh, I guess what you would call Southern rock at the time, and um, at the time they didn't call it Southern rock, it was just rock and roll, uh, Skinner and stuff like that, and uh also, he was uh, pretty open-minded. He liked stuff like Mata Hoople and uh, Sweet. And, um, you know, my mom was a rocker in her own sense, but she was a little more in the lady side of it. She liked, you know, like the Grateful Dead, and uh, she loved Cheap Trick. And so, yeah, they were both influences on uh, me musically. I uh, really thought it was cool seeing my dad play music and you know drink and you know, smoke cigarettes and stuff like that. I always thought that was cool and uh, ride motorcycles and have long hair. But uh, as far as being tight, no, we're not tight. So uh, uh, you were in Charleston, West Virginia, up until you were 15. Did you start uh, doing music there? Like, did you have high school bands or any of that kind of stuff? <clears throat> first uh, first live performance I ever did was with a band uh, called Metal Sect. And uh, they were just like a party, hard rock metal band. And uh, they were playing a clubhouse. <clears throat> and uh, their singer was in a kind of a bad way and um they asked me if i would sing a couple of songs with them and i knew the songs they did because i was always hanging out their practice space trying to bum some beers or whatnot and, uh, so i sang uh, walk all over you by acdc and uh motley crew uh, looks at kill and that was it i was hooked yeah <laughs> so uh you, you did you end up joining that band or no but i sure did hang out a lot trying to trying to get another chance to sing a song with him and uh to the point i probably annoyed him quite a bit but uh no um i didn't start really playing um in a real band till i was uh 18 uh in charlotte north carolina and what was that that was a band called bloody mary so that was the first band bloody mary that was the first real band i tried to kick around a couple of things but i didn't have equipment and I lied and said I played bass, but really I just had a bass. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Didn't uh, didn't uh, Tommy Tommy Lee do something like that, or like he just stole a bass, or uh, in order to get into a band, or showed up there with it, but he didn't know how to play it. That might have been. I think it might have been Nikki Six. Actually. Yeah, it might have been Nikki Six. So Charlotte, why'd you move to Charlotte, North Carolina? How'd you end up there? I was uh, trying to avoid going to juvie. Yeah, what'd you do to? To get in, get in trouble, uh, I got called into the counselor's office in high school, and uh, she was a busy woman, so she left me in there for about an hour. I know I think she might have forgot about me, but uh, she also left her purse there. <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Well, this credit card here, you know, I'll take this to the mall and buy some stuff and sell it." <laughs> and uh, I was looking at doing a little uh, little time for that. There's some some other charges that basically told the judge I needed to uh, need a parental guidance because I was living on my own. So, when did you stop living with your parents? 
when I was 15 when I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. So right at that time, like that's kind of you moved, you stopped living with your parents, you robbed a counselor, and you split town. And well, what you how'd you decide on Charlotte? Well, what it was was I moved out when I was 15, and I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I lived um, over top of a friend of mine's uh, parents' garage, and uh, his dad called me Fonzie. His dad was a dick. His mom was a sweetheart, and they were just trying to get me out of West Virginia so I'd have a little bit better future, I think. And uh, well, that didn't work out too good. <laughs> so what did, when you got down to Charlotte, what did you do? Like, did you get just get a job? Uh... I, I moved back to Char- I moved to Charlotte to move back in with my mom. Um, she wasn't pleased about the whole thing, so um, I moved back in. I was 17 at the time. I moved back in for exactly. Two weeks and two days, and I got an apartment with, uh, with a dude from uh, Brooklyn who was uh, struggling with some financial problems, and he didn't have any friends, and I didn't know anybody, so uh, I moved in with him, and uh, that was the uh, last time I ever lived under anybody uh, anybody else's roof, you know, except for roommates and stuff. And how did you hook up with the uh, Bloody Mary crew? Like, what's the story behind Bloody Mary? Try to nutshell that. And give me Bloody Mary, and then what was after Bloody Mary? Uh, there was a band after that, wasn't there? And then before the Devil Tones? Yeah, there, there was a band called Branded that I, Branded that I started almost immediately after Bloody Mary. Um, but uh, with Bloody Mary, I was uh, friends with Craig Baker, who was a... Uh, the guitar player for Bloody Mary, and uh, he went on to play with Buzz of and a couple other bands that he wasn't very uh, fond of. But uh, he—that's um, the T-shirt guy, right? Did he work it? No, that's that's Bill Vazel. He was oh. the leader of Bloody Mary. But uh, Craig was dating this girl who uh, was friends with a girl that a punk rock girl that I had a crush on, and ended up meeting him and hanging out with him. And uh, he got me a job at a car wash, and um. The guy they had singing for him really wanted to play bass instead of sing, and I was all the time, again, hanging out, bumming beers and stuff, so uh, he didn't show up for practice one time, so I sang, and uh, they said they'd give me an audition, so uh, that's how I joined Bloody Mary, basically. And at that point, were you writing songs, or they already had songs written, and you just could come in and sing them? Yeah, they had songs written. They had only done a few, um, they'd recorded a really... uh, low-budget demo, so I had that to learn from, and uh, they were working on writing some songs, so that's when I came in, and um, I was pretty much the young blood in the band, and uh, pretty inexperienced, so my role at first was just to do as I was told, and uh, learn the ropes, kind of graduated into uh, writing lyrics with the guitar players, and um, and, um, basically being the front man slash... uh, PR guy for the band, but Bill Vazel, uh, Bill Kills, we called him at the time, was always uh, was always our manager slash boss, uh, slash boss leader. Um, he had the house we all lived in. He had the van. He um, he had the money, and uh, he had the smarts. So was it uh, for you? Was it totally just like you know? This is like I just want to be a fucking rocker. I want to like just live this life or whatever. Or did you early on see it as like it's also a business and it's like a job that I got to do? And well, it should be a business. It should be a job. Um, of course, you should have fun doing it. But uh, the bands that don't treat it as a business or see it as a responsibility, they don't last long. And uh, 
you know, I mean, even the most uh, reckless and carefree uh, icons, um, they had to pay bills and they had to make money and they had to please the crowd. Um, do it for yourself, but remember that uh, if you're not doing it for uh, a responsible reason, you're just going to be doing it in a garage. Yeah, and you know, at the, uh, at the time that I met you, like, my attitude about playing rock and roll was, was basically was that that you just like you're not disciplined or professional about it you just like get in a room with a bunch of guys and you see what happens because that's what i've done so far in in new york like that was my understanding of what like the, the punk rock like trajectory was so i was like i don't want to do anything around this that smacks of organization <laughs> or like discipline or anything like the whole reason i was doing it is because it, it, it for me it was this total unknown like i just wanted to cut loose you know like, yeah. I just wanted to get a guitar in my hand or a drum kit and just see what happens and, like, play with other people like that. So I came out of New York where that was sort of like what everybody was doing. You know, they just sort of, you know, went to the practice space, rehearsed, and then went to the show and got drunk. And when I met you, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we show for rehearsal on time. We we rehearse. We run through the set a couple times, you know. I mean, that was real... I was surprised because when I met you in the bar, like we started hanging out, I just saw you as this force of nature. You know, I didn't think that you had this side to you that was like the uh, the crew chief, the boss. But you were working construction at that time. It seems like you apply the uh, you know work ethic. Yeah, and well, the t- being the team boss. Yeah, I'll like, tell you, man. Um, I will say that um, Bill Vazel from Bloody Mary was a huge influence on me. I mean, he he ran the band with a with an iron fist and we had a we had a great time we had a lot of fun but um i mean there was one point where i was told if i didn't quit smoking that uh they were going to kick me out and i was also told that i couldn't drink before shows i mean there was reasons but uh you know um but we had a blast i mean we, we played a lot of shows and we had a really good time but bill was always you know kind of keeping us in line and, and helping us get to the next show and, and making sure that when we played, we were tight and, um, you know, it was done right. I mean, we weren't the, the best, but we were way better than most. So your your trajectory of playing rock and roll has been, like, that was a metal band, Bloody Mary, basically. Yeah, like, like thrash, hardcore, metal. And Branded was, you were starting to move in a different direction. Yeah, I, I was pretty much eating up with the Misfits at the time. I was just uh, digging them a whole lot, and I was listening to a lot of a lot of um, kind of seminal punk and rock and roll bands, and um, kind of wanted to go in a more rock and roll vein. I just happened to hook up with uh, with some guys that were um, a little into the same thing. Came out a little different than I imagined, but it was a it was way more rock and roll. So, like. For a lot of people, like, punk rock and metal are, are, like, can be two different, totally different streams, with a few exceptions, like Slayer, you know, most punk rock kids like Slayer, and um, to some degree, early Metallica, and early Metallica, obviously, like, the Misfits and stuff like that. How did that, how did your, like, kind of timeline of rock and roll and metal and, and punk and all of that, and country... How did that all kind of come together? If you could nutshell that and like, you know, how did how it streams in your head? Well, growing up in West Virginia, there weren't many metalheads or punks, um, so we all kind of hung out together. And um, thrash was really big at the time, um, and 
I, um, like I said, I grew up listening to like some of the good early stuff, like um, the Ramones and you know, like House Cooper was one of my favorites. ACDC still is, um, but I think punk and metal are very similar, but but also extremely different. Um, what do you think is the big difference between them? Punk is rock and roll, metal is, you know, I don't consider metal very rock and roll. I think punk takes it right from right from rock and roll, and metal takes a more um, disciplined approach to um, an extreme approach to uh, to their to their genre, to their music. It's it's um, the composition it's more, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's more like classical music. There's all these arrangements and yeah, it's parts. way more structured and strict. You know? um, it's not really. I don't consider it rock. You uh, speaking of influence. I mean, at the point that I uh, met you, I guess it was like 2000, something like that, 2001. And I had been. I kind of came out of a a more like you know. I mean, I liked rock and roll. I liked metal. I'm, I had just. I'd lived in New York for a while. Gotten into the you know the New York kind of branch of punk rock. You know, the CBGBs kind of stuff. Um, but, I mean, my approach to it was always sort of like, you know, not badass. It was more like intellectual, I guess. It was more like, um, I want to do this as like an art expression, you know. I mean, like, I want to I want to play rock and roll, and I love rock and roll, but, like, I'm thinking about it, you know, like, you know, I'm thinking of all of these bands that have gone before. I'm thinking of, like, influences that I want to channel into what I'm doing. And when I met you... That had gotten me to the point where I was just fucking sick of all of the other people I was around, and like, and you just seemed to be a hundred percent just like living your definition of rock and roll. It was like there was like some Bible, like the Anton Lavey. You had your own fucking book, <laughs> and you would you would every so often you'd be like, "That's not rock and roll. That is rock and roll," you know. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna like latch myself, like I'm gonna just hook my you know, tether to this guy and see where he takes me. And that was how I ended up playing in a band with you. Is I was just like, this guy didn't do shit like anybody else that I'm friends with or I've ever been involved with. Um, in fact, I never knew anybody kicked anybody's ass prior, you know, on a regular basis <laughs> prior to meeting you. And I've actually never been friends with anybody that I can honestly say I was afraid of. You know, like, I mean, I am, I consider you like a friend, but I also knew not to fuck with you, you know, that I could get on your bad side that. The dudes had gotten on your bad side in the past, and and uh, there'd been hell to pay, as they say. But I found that like really appealing, you know. Like I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna play rock and roll with this guy because he's got this, you know. There's this a- aspect of you that's just, you know, this fucking primal. Like you know. Charlotte and Richmond music scenes are, are way, you know, back in the day, were way different. Like in Charlotte. We weren't. We, we didn't go to play a show with our friends. We went to blow our friends away. Yeah. You know, we there was a competition. There was rivalry. There was not a all. Oh, it's all fucking hug. It was more like, um, yeah, we could we could hang out together and we'd have good times together. But when it came showtime, we were trying to we were trying to win. It was it was a competition. It was um, it was uh, it was a rumble. You know, we we came with. You know, the, it's not how you play the game. It's what, whether you win or lose, not the other way around. 
Right. So you're you're out to win, and it's not just fucking music. It's uh, life. Like if somebody's not on your side, they're against you. Well, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that anymore. I've, I've definitely become more open to people and and tried this new uh, this new theory of uh, yeah. It doesn't always have to be that way, but yeah, man. Like you know, I, I don't want. I mean, I'm never going to be super rich or super successful at music, but I don't want to go at it at anything with uh, the idea that uh, failure is an option. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, and it's it, it's great. I mean, like, the fact that I was in that band with you guys, it was the most, like, constructive or disciplined thing I ever did in a rock band. You know, we did, we recorded, we played shows, you know, we had a practice space, we had equipment, we had a van, you know, there was definitely, like, a driving force, and that's the kind of shit that you know, is was usually missing for most of the stuff I did. Like, no, you know, I'll just do it if I feel like it or whatever. And I knew, like, I couldn't say no to you or Rick if you guys wanted to do something, if you wanted to practice or whatever. And uh, you guys were actually functioning, I think, is a fair amount of my motivation, you know, because I knew, I, I mean, I could play guitar, but, like, how much I really wanted to or how hard I wanted to work at it was really about, like, for me at that point, like, you guys and... You know, being like, I remember there was that one time that I stayed up all night drinking, and I tried to cancel band practice by putting a note on the door to my apartment because <laughs> we were practicing in my apartment. And you guys just came in, you were like, "No, yeah, we, we're practicing." We just started started turning on the amps and yeah, fucking came out looking like David Lee Roth in a bathrobe and cowboy boots, if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these food know. containers everywhere. <laughs> the cure all. But you know, a lot of people. There are a lot of dudes in rock and roll for whom the badass thing, uh, you know, it's associated with them, but it's really like, it's an image, you know. They probably, they're they're not actually going to kick anybody's ass. They're actually not, you know, um, going to intimidate anyone. You know, they look like a tough guy. They got fucking long hair and beards. Like a lot of these, you know, hipster kids running around now that look like bikers, but would probably flee if, if things got intense at any point. I mean, you really were that guy. Like, there's no act there. And I don't think there's any, I mean, I mean, I'm here to, like, understand, I mean, I don't got any judgment about you. You have resorted to fisticuffs a lot. I mean, you've been, you're, that's part of who you are. You, you can funnel that into rock and roll. You can, and that could be a big part of, like, uh, what drives you. You're also a lovable guy. You're a great guy. You're, you know, cool guy. But you have that side to you that sort of, like, you know, um, I'm cool as long as you're cool, but you fuck with me, and we're gonna have a problem. And like, how did how did that develop? Like, you know, that is something that's very different to the Richmond music scene. <laughs> there aren't really. I mean, <clears throat> poor people are crazy, man. You grow up poor, you 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 learn to <clears throat> you learn to fight. You know, my 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 grandfather, my dad, my uncles. I mean, it wasn't like there was a wild hillbilly clan run wild, but um, you know, you know, I, I was disciplined as a child. Like, you know, things didn't if I didn't do right, you know, I, I paid the consequence, and uh, you know, went on to like you know, also moving around a lot and living on my own at, at a very early age. Um, I ended up running with a lot of a lot of guys that were a lot older than me, and and I you know I learned a lot from knuckleheads. You know, um, you know, I remember I wanted to hang out with these dudes and. Um, their uh, affectionate name for me was Faggot. 
And, uh, <laughs> and the reason being was I had a Motley Crue back patch, and they had Motorhead back patches, and they were like, you know, they just they couldn't see that like it was the same in very similar ways. But um, you know, Lemmy's God and all that. So uh, I learned that from them. Um, and you know, like hanging out in in really rough hardcore punk bars and metal bars, and you know, all up and down. East Coast and going west and running the towns where no one knows you and you're playing with local bands and we came to win, you know, lots of and we were young so there was you know, the um, testosterone and um, you know, alpha you know, we, we you learn to fight when you're on the streets basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I would never you, I've never known you to be the kind of guy that goes looking for that kind of trouble you'd much rather be having a good time playing songs on the jukebox drinking your beer talking to other people you know women uh listening to music yeah you know you're not you're not out for that you're not a fucking psychopath but yeah, we don't, you know never wanted to go out and get in a fight never thought like you know oh man let's go out and kick somebody's ass night you know but i had friends who thought that way and i was i was not about that i'd rather have fun um but when it comes down to it, if you if you have to fight, you have to fight. But I'd rather walk away, of course. I just had this conversation with a young man yesterday, um, and uh, you know, I, I told him, like, you know, be strong and keep your chin up. And, you know, but there's no shame in backing down. If you, if you can back down, and it's not going to affect your your moral obligation to, to doing what you think is right. And sometimes somebody just needs to be corrected and you know <laughs> like in the shining me, I, I corrected them <laughs> yeah, exactly I mean I've I got I got the hell knocked out of me many times by not minding my manners or not acting right and, uh, you know I, I would hate to think that, that at this time in my life that I would have to get in a fight with somebody I can usually defuse it or you know put some uh, put some other uh, thoughts in their mind to uh, walk away, but um, if I have to, you know, if I, especially if it's protecting me or mine, I, I will. I gotta say, for me, at the the point that I was at when I got into that band, I, I had it was a lot of fucking bitterness and resentment about shit that was going on, and I felt like, I tell people about this all the time, that I felt like I had joined a gang, you know, that like, you and, and Rick and, and Buddy, and like, it was like, you know, I was one. I was one of your guys, and you know, I was in, in the club. And if anybody fucked with me, then it didn't matter if I was right or wrong. You guys had my back, and but yet I had to like, I basically had to act a certain way. You know, I had to represent for you guys or represent for the Devil Tones a certain way. It was a really a, a completely different thing from any kind of relationship I'd ever had or been part of. And it was a real part of me that was just like, yeah, you know what? It's like those guys that are in. These guys that end up in prison, you know, it's like your choice is either to join the gang or be a victim the whole time. And I had gotten to the point of my thinking, I was fucked up enough that I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm over trying to do this shit the right way. I'm just going to join this gang. And these guys, and these guys are going to by force, like, make things happen. And I'm just going to, you know, ride behind them. You know, and that, that was kind of, I mean, we made people pay us for shows you yeah, know well, and you say you're gonna pay you're gonna pay i mean it's ten dollars or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever if you owe me money you will pay <laughs> it'd be hell to pay i remember we we went to uh um we played some show up in northern virginia where some kid booked a show with us and uh 
Murder Junkies? Was that? I think that was Roanoke, actually. No, it was like, like near George Mason University. And the kid had booked the show, and there was like nobody there. And he promised us some certain amount of money, and you were just like, turn out your pockets. You know, like. <laughs> I think that might have been Roanoke. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, he, he he gave us a guarantee, and that's what a guarantee is. It's a guarantee. You don't say, I guarantee this, and then you go, oh, I don't have it. That's like, you know, it doesn't work out. You get what you pay for it. We did our end of the bargain. He didn't have the money, so this girl had to go 18. <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell by the car she had and the clothes she was wearing. She, her parents wouldn't miss that three hundred dollars. I gotta say, man. I mean, I, that's just. I mean, I still talk about that band and talk about that whole time period because it's really not. It's not anything I've ever been a part of. I mean, I came out of you know this liberal, freebie you and me kind of background. You know, I was a big kid who was always told you you don't hit people. Like you don't like if somebody you know hits you, you can't hit them back. You're bigger than everybody else. You're strong. You can't use force to get your way whatever and and i felt like i was just taking advantage of most of like my childhood because the little kids would fuck with me and they couldn't you know they knew i wasn't going to hit them because i was going to get in more trouble than they would because i was already the size of a man when i was like 10 years old <laughs> you know so i really had that part of me restrained and like it was it's really interesting to me to like you know get involved with you and you were like to me you were like this combination of tony soprano glenn danzig and a little John Belushi and the Blues Brothers <laughs> thrown in. <laughs> yeah, I've heard all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not forget Elvis. We didn't. <laughs> yeah, and Elvis. We didn't say. You know, okay. So you, uh, all right. So you did Bloody Mary, and then how you were in Bloody Mary for how long? Five years. Five years, and what? How that that just kind of fell apart? Or? <clears throat> well, it got to the point where we were making good money, and we had management looking at us, and some labels looking at us, and. Uh, they want us to move to a bigger market, and we were all on board. We were all going to do it, but at the time, I was I was making money in other ways, and I was making a lot of money. And what year was this? Uh, I guess '94. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, I was rolling around with a big, big pocket full of money, and I just, you know, you know, I had a pretty little girl and had a nice place to live, and I just couldn't see how I was going to go back to living in a place with no AC and, you know, I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to be poor. You want to go into what you were doing uh, to make money, uh, what kind of business you were in? Well, it's been a long time. Um, Nobody's going to listen to this anyway, Randy. Basically. <laughs> Certainly not law enforcement. Um, basically, I, I did... I, I did deliveries. I, uh, I ran deliveries for some people and uh, contraband uh, substances, perhaps. Possibly. Also, uh, did collections for some of the same people and collections. I was uh, I was basically a gun for hire. If you had a problem, you could call me. If your bank account was all right, your credit checked out, and I would uh, help you out the best I could. Right on. So, uh, did you ever get in any? kind of trouble around this sort of thing or is it luckily um i never got in trouble for for the stuff that uh that i was doing at the time i got in some trouble and it ended up being uh, an eye-opener and i kind of figured that you know you only get so many chances and i i walked away from it 
And that was was that when you left Charlotte to come up to Richmond? No, or did you... no, I, I carried on in Charlotte. I did a band called Branded and uh, uh, started doing construction. Uh, I was basically facing some uh, some serious jail time, and uh, I was told by my lawyer that I, on paper, couldn't afford that uh, I had to have some sort of job. So I started doing construction, and, and believe me, it sucked. Um, and I stayed there, and I'm. I um I went on with just working and um, trying to play in a band and you know um, but Charlotte was was uh, I knew I, there was just no way I could do a band and be well received because of uh, Bloody Mary was so popular that anything I did after that would seem pale comparison as far as crowd turnout and money and whatnot and also I had a lot of history with a lot of people that um you know I just kind of wore my welcome out and um wasn't really trying to make new friends there and uh my few old friends that I had you know everybody was growing up and had an opportunity to move to Richmond so um I'd been to Richmond a few times played a couple shows here and I always liked the the architecture and the what appeared to be a, a good music scene so I I jumped on board and moved up to to the RVA the operative word would be appeared to be a good music scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, like we come up, and, we, we come up and play shows from time to time, and um, it always seemed happening, and it, it, it seemed real cool. And got up here, and it was, it was kind of, um, it's kind of a letdown, really. I mean, I, I, uh, there was some good, there was good times and bad, you know, but like uh, it wasn't all distracting. The uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Like, so when you were in Bloody Mary, you weren't writing songs at that point. You were. I wrote some lyrics. Yeah. Uh, basically, the guitar players wrote the song and uh, would give it to me. There'd be an idea of what the song would be about, and I, then I would write lyrics. Um, there's a couple of songs that I came to them with, but you know, I, I didn't play guitar, so I couldn't really tell them how it went. And uh, it was more of a kind of a punkish, uh, maybe slightly hardcore-ish song, and it just pretty much got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so when you left Bloody Mary, you started Branded, and at that point, were you more of a creative, like, driving force of that band? You were writing the songs, and uh, or at least the lyrics, and, and collaborating with a guitar player? Yeah, um, it was uh, me and Brad Mullins, um we, uh, you know, I'd come to him with a song idea, and I would, I would hum it to him, and you know, he would come up with a riff that matched, you know, what I was going with. But I would actually sit down and, you know, write out the lyrics, the verse, the chorus, the bridge, you know, and, and the melody to it, and then he would um, play guitar around it, and it was a, it was a good working thing. And he would come to me with like a song that he'd written on his own, and um, you know lyrics and the melody and everything and then I would take it and usually keep most of his lyrics but if I didn't like them I would change them to my point of view or whatnot. And then uh, the Devil Tones, some of the same members of Branded or was that a completely different band when you started that down there? Well, between Branded and Devil Tones there was uh, Love Crush. Oh yeah. And um, from Love Crush to Devil Tones, uh, Mike Calhoun the bass player was uh the only one that was uh, from the original band, um, and uh, 
I guess what happened was we we, we were doing Love Crush and it was a really fun project and um, then we um, when that had to come to an end for various reasons um, our guitar player Johnny who's one of my best friends in the world he was a stand-up enough guy that he wouldn't quit until he found a replacement. Well, when he found a replacement, uh, of course, the, the guitar changed and the stuff we were writing went on a different direction and the name didn't really make sense and that's when we pretty much uh, became the Devil Tanks. And what, what was Love Crush like, if you had to describe it? Uh, it was like kind of like a punk rock carnival show. It was... Um, we did some covers, we wrote some stuff, and uh, it was kind of like hard-driving, spooky rock and roll. And the Devil Tones, uh, when you started that, that what was different about that? Like, what, what direction was that that wasn't making sense? Is more punk rock, less carnival, more evil? <laughs> well, it actually became less less evil. Um, it, became, it became more free will and rock and roll. More of a punk influence, um, just a faster, um, faster rock and roll um, kind of uh, kind of vibe to it. How long did you do that in Charlotte before you came to Richmond? Uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half. I, think. Um, I don't know, actually, maybe longer. We did it for a while, then we broke up, and then we started again. So I guess it's kind of hazy, but I guess. I guess about two years, you know, uh, a little bit off and on for a year. I don't. I, it's, um, I moved to Baltimore at one point, and when I came back, they were still jamming, so I just kind of stepped back in. And uh, I guess we did it for about a year solid. I don't know. And you came here and had no band for a while, moved here, was just working construction, looking to put something together? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was kicking around the idea of starting a band. I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. And uh, I actually went and sang for a southern rock band for a minute, and they just weren't good enough. Um, and then ended up uh, kind of going back to my, my, my lonesome ways, and I was like, well, shit, let's start a band. So I started kicking around the idea of trying to put in a band. I was like took a lesson from Mike Ness, just keep the name and the songs and, you know, find other people to play them, and so I decided to keep the Devil Tones due to the fact that, you know, we had a little bit of buzz going on about us, and, you know, we played some shows out of town, and some people knew us, and some people that I considered influential uh, were kind of taking a record, you know, were recognizing us, so just, like, kept the name and the songs and tried to get, um, tried to get a band together to, to follow that lead. So you and I met, and originally it was just you and me, and we, we talked to a bunch of different guys, I guess, at that point. There was Ryan from Punchline and some other guy that was working at Punchline, and then then you invited Rick to come up here. Yeah, I, I really don't remember how I went down, Curtis. Uh, remember, uh, <laughs> like, I was hoping you wouldn't ask him any dates. <laughs> um, Rick Surly, uh, he used to run around with Bloody Mary, and um, we were good friends, and he um, was always a, a solid drummer and a uh, you know, good um, good henchman type guy to mm -hmm. run around with. You know, wasn't wasn't much worry if, if uh, 
if someone had a problem, you had Rick Surly with you, you know, they, they'd probably wait till another time to bring that problem up. And, <laughs> you know, he was looking for a band, and uh, he contacted me, I believe. And I don't remember how it went down, but he was like, yeah, man, I'm getting ready to move and looking to move somewhere. I was like, hey, man, Richmond's all right. Come up here and start a band. And, you know, um, a month or two later, he was in Richmond and kind of took off, I guess. Yeah, so... We get this together, it's Rick and you and me and Buddy, and you know, the thing I think about when, like, you guys both came up here, not just trying to fuck around and play in a band, but you guys wanted to make money at it, you wanted it to be, a, you know, you were, you were over the idea of just like, um, we're just going to be working our day jobs and then have a rock band on the side, you really wanted it to be something, and... Like that, that's the thing that's, I think, very different about Richmond in general is that a lot of people around here are content to actually have their day job and just do their rock band as a hobby, almost. Like, in some respects, I don't know, they just, that competition thing isn't here. That desire to, like, you know, rise to the top or, or compete or, or be the best or whatever, it's not, it's not present. It's like, you know, and you guys came in with that kind of energy and, like, you didn't have any place to go in this town. You absorbed two bands together. We played a bunch of shows, but, like, that really wasn't the scene, you know. Like, you want to get paid? <laughs> <laughs> Nominal, I do. Um, yeah, man, I mean, the first show I ever went to see when I was a little kid, I was, like, 15, I went to see some glam rock band called Are You Easy. Um, it was horrible. Um but I still liked it because, you know, they had long hair and guitars, and uh, I paid $5. And my band Barstool Heroes played Friday night, and it was $5. And that was oh, shit, damn near 20 years ago. Oh, shit, it's over 20 years ago. <laughs> 30 years ago. So, you know, you kind of got to figure out. $5 to get in, you mean? $5 yeah. to get in. Right. Yeah. So, you got to figure out, man, like, you know, everybody has to pay to get in. Cost hasn't there's there's no inflation um, cost that like gone to like live music, especially original rock and roll or metal or hardcore bands or whatever kind of band. You know, you go out and you buy all this equipment, you pay all this money for this, you rent a private space, you buy a van, you put gas in the damn thing, you put in all kinds of hours and sweat, sometimes blood. You know, I mean, shit, drummers bust their knuckles all the time. Nobody wants to give them more than five dollars for it. It's just it's really kind of sad. And then when you try to charge more, people moan and cry. And, uh, Tell you what, man, I thought about it. I was told this by Angry Johnny. He said, Man, just charge 20 bucks to get in. People who really want to see you will come in, and if 10 people play, you still get $200. <laughs> you don't have to put up a bunch of assholes. Yeah. You know, so it's a nominal idea. Um, of course, the ego and the hand part of being a band, you want the place to be packed, so you know, do a free show and get the bar to guarantee it's enough. It's just, um, you know, it's always a, it's always a struggle to, to get paid, and you know, Les Pauls are cheap. Man. That's true, and you know, I un unfortunately, like, I was never able to think about it that way. I mean, for me, the only payment I wanted out of playing rock and roll was like just to be a player, you know, like to be in that in that category. Like, I wanted girls to look at me like that. I wanted other people to look at me like that. That was enough compensation for me just to be not in the audience but be on the stage you know yeah there's a huge attraction to that, I say. like I never really cared about the money I did care that it started costing me a lot of money to be in a rock band and I guess when you, you start looking at it like that it does have to be a business but I didn't have any sense about business then and that was a very novel thing for me that you guys were so insistent on it 
you know, it's like, we're, we're going to spend this money. You got to recover your share. We're going to this place. We're flying to Colorado. We're flying to LA. We're not just going to tool around in Richmond where nobody gives a shit. You know, we're going to really try and get it out there. Um, and you know, I mean, it's, it's not like a, I mean, it really is a difference because you are in every way, like a hundred percent a rock and roll singer kind of guy you love it it's really you know a for real thing for you but it is also a business and it's something you treat just like you would treat a construction job like i came here with my tool belt and i got my fucking hammer and i'm building some shit for you you got to pay me for it exactly. you know exactly you know i mean at this point i mean with both bands that i'm in now um and i break my own rules all the time but we don't play for free uh, and then all of a sudden we're playing a benefit for somebody that I don't know. But nobody ever plays a benefit for me. <laughs> and um, but sometimes it's a good cause, and sometimes it is people I know, and sometimes you know you just do it because you know you got you got heart and you want to help. Um, but the whole thing of going someplace and people spending money in a, in a place and you not getting any money, it just doesn't set well with me. And I, I would advise if any band members out there ever listen to this interview, I would advise them to get what's owed to them. I mean, what, like I said, whether it's, you know, the band goes and makes 50 bucks and there's a five-piece band, you know, the bass player gets $10. That's just the deal. <laughs> you know, unless he owes a guitar player $10 and that's why the guitar player gets paid. <laughs> I mean, so you did the Devil Tones for here. I was in the band for three years. Um, then you went on and I kept it going for how much longer? Did you guys do this total? I think like 10 years? Was it that long? I don't think it was quite that long. Um, again, I was like I said, I was I was thinking about those dates. I'm remembering it began around 2001. <clears throat> In Richmond, it began 2001. Yeah. Um, and I think we went about eight, nine or ten years. I, I don't know exactly. Um, I can't remember when it when it ended. It kind of it kind of ended very slowly. So it like um, it just got less and less to where it was like, all right, um, we're not doing it anymore, you know? And I think part of that was because I was like, yo, I have to get paid to come mm -hmm. and do this. I mean, I want, I got to the point where I was like, if I can't make 50 bucks, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, with, with Barstool, I, I very, very rarely give those guys less than $50, you know, and that's, that's bare minimum. I mean, and what I, is Barstool? Barstool Heroes is, uh, is my country band. And, um, is it originals or covers? It's, it's all covers. Uh, I, I'm sure that we could write originals, and we've talked about it, but what we do is, is a very specific um, tribute band to, like, outlaw country. And, you know, luckily enough to be playing with some really good guys, uh, good friends and good musicians, and we have a great time. It's very fun, but at the end of the night, usually not at the end of the night. I used to keep the money until the next practice. A, it's just ensures people come to practice, and B, <laughs> make sure that I don't go, oh, here's all the money, and then I go the next day, and go, damn it, I gave them all the money. Um, <laughs> and then I'm out 50 bucks, and that's what I wanted was $50. But, uh, you know, like the other night, we we split a bill with a band, and, you know, there's no more buying beer. We don't buy beer. We get beer. Right? If you want more than the bar is offering, then, you know, that's on you individually. But I'm going to get you some food. I'm going to get you some beer. I'm going to give you whatever money we make. And we split it even. And we try to cover all of our costs, rent, 
promotional materials, um, that kind of thing. And if, if we if we play, you're going to get your fair share, you know, um, guaranteed. So it, I mean, at some point, like. I mean, are you, you're not really writing songs anymore. You're just mainly functioning as a performer. You're in a cover band, the country cover band, and you get the Apocalypse Dudes, which is a cover band, tribute band. They're both tribute bands. And there's no, whatever. I mean, most people didn't write songs for, you know, when they were in rock bands forever. The idea of writing songs is like the 60s, you know, that the Rolling Stones and the Beatles are writing their own songs. There's no, whatever. But at some point, it's just become like, I'm, I'm tired of like trying to do my thing with and not make any and not really being able to get compensated i'm going to do this thing that i like and other people like that they will pay for yeah i mean I've, as of late i've been talking about starting an, an original rock and roll band um, we're going to have a little guitar accompaniment here it looks like we're in the practice yeah, space soundtrack. so we're who is that anyway yeah. uh, it's just some guys have like a little little project going on i don't know who they are i'll go shut the door though all right Randy's going to shut the door so uh i'm going to all right, we're back. So we were just talking about, like, basically the transition has gone. And, like, okay, so me as a romantic, I'm going to tell a story like, you know, like, you you want to be a rocker. You want to play rock and roll. You really want to be a part of that. It's like, you know, it's your dream. It's like, you know, it's magic. It's the fucking life. It's all of that kind of shit. But as you get older and you're like, I've been constantly putting my energy and my resources into trying to go out and do this. I'm going to have to start recognizing the realities of the marketplace and, and like business and say like, you know, I'm going to have to get the best of both worlds. Like I still get to play songs that I like. Um, but like I might as well pick this stuff that people already like and, and well, do it. I mean, believe me, if you asked me if I'd ever be in a cover band when I was younger, I'd be like, no, that's silly. But. <clears throat> It's really fun, and it's you know, especially with like the <clears throat> with the two. I mean, I would never be in a top forty cover band. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play, um, you know, play that funky music, white boy, for you at your uh, wedding reception. I will come and bust out a bunch of wailing if that's the kind of wedding reception you want to have. Um, but you know, I, I would love to play an original rock and roll band. I think if I was to do it again, I would take a less business approach to it and just try to have some fun and play rock and roll. But if you're a young man, you want to make it as a poor woman and make it as a, as a musician and you, you got to put in the work and you got to get, get your material out there and you got to push, push, push. And you know, if you, if you get lucky, um, you might make it. Well, you know, my attitude about this right now too is like pretty fucking like Bolshevik. Cause I'm like, I don't believe any musician gets to write, a song and sit back and collect royalties. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. But I don't even think that was ever guaranteed to anybody. You got to fucking work for it. Yeah, if you exactly. want to, if you want to make some money, you got to play shows. You got to practice. You got to tour. You got to hawk your crap at the shows. You got to sell merch, just like everybody else. Yeah, you got to exactly. work. You don't, exactly. you don't get to like write one fucking top forty song and then buy a mansion and sit there and get a, a blowjob, you know, yeah, every day. Awesome. You know, it would be. It would, yes. Everybody would like that. But the idea that musicians would cry and scream that that's not available to them through getting signed by a major label the way it used to be. You know, that the way it was locked down before is like you wrote a song, you got with the right label, they put a bunch of money into you, they they promoted you and shit, and you could just sit back and watch the money roll. Yeah, fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that's ideal, and it, it can still happen, but you're gonna you're gonna have to put in a lot of work to uh, you know, like you know, 
if someone famous discovers you, well, you have to be playing. They're not going to discover you, in it, you know, while you're in your garage. You know, like nobody, you know, Gene Simmons isn't walking down your alley. Yeah. Um, you know, so you got to get out there somewhere, and like you got to push. You got to do the indie radio shows. You got you got to be in the indie press. You got to put out material. You have to be on every website you can be, and you got to constantly, constantly maintain appearances and and keep your um, keep your reputation and your image. Nobody's going to dig through the heap of all the other fucking bands to find you if you're not trying to crawl, you know, make your presence known. (laughs) I mean, because, I mean, there's probably 30 bands that practice in this building alone. And some of them are really damn good. And some of them are actually getting, you know, worldwide recognition, like Cough. Um, It's not my cup of tea, but, but, you know, they're doing it. And, you know, uh, Windham and, you know, those guys, they're going out. I mean, they're on tour now, probably, I guess. Um, Winham just played last night here. Well, maybe they just got back. I know they were touring, but, uh, you know, you, you got you just got to do it. You got to keep working, you know. And, um, you know, that's my advice to anybody who would ever want to play in a band. You got to decide what you want to do with it. You want to just have fun and, you know, play around town a little bit? Fine, do it. It's, it's awesome. And, you know, you might get to be really, really good and somebody might notice you or, you know, if you want to put in the work and go out and sell your records and, you know, do all this and that, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, it's a long way to the top. And with the apocalypse, I mean, that Turbo Negro is not coming to Richmond, you know, like well, they you don't never know. They might be, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then were you going to open up for them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Um, no, we wouldn't be open. I mean, unless we busted out like you know, ten or twelve originals, and well, we're pretty popular among the Turbo Yugen, so that's not out of the question. Um, but you know, they might come. I mean, it is a it's a weird thing to me, and like I got no judgment about it. But it's like it's such a strange. If there's a band that still exists, and it is a very distinct band. Like I mean, like when they were. D- Kiss, like, I mean, they it's a dress-up band. I mean, like, costumes and makeup and shit, like, like Kiss and Alice Cooper and stuff mixed together. I mean, it's a whole act. It is something that you can really, you can really stand in for them. Like, you can, like, the way Kiss is, that you could really replace Kiss. Like, somebody could go see you, and, like, as far as everybody's concerned, you look like Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley. You got the fucking makeup on, you know? Um, except that when people were doing that, those guys weren't touring. I mean, I guess they, now it's simultaneous you know yeah but but you're i mean it it's weird it's it's like it starts to get really uh at meta or something i don't know even what the fuck that word means but like you you guys are doing another band's act and that band is out there doing that act and they're still making records and you're doing it here and you're doing it well and like people enjoy it i enjoy it i like to go see it um but do you ever start to get an identity crisis with it, where you're like, "This, you know, I'm not Hank Von." <laughs> you I'm know? Hank Von Randall, damn it. Um, no, nah, I mean, I don't, I don't take it that damn serious. But um, I will say that, like, we've played shows where you, where you know, the crowd didn't think it was actually Turbo Negro, but um, you know, that you wouldn't have been able to tell if you were from outer space, you wouldn't know the difference because they were singing along every word, you know. Um, I mean, the energy is so high when we play, especially in markets where there's a, a strong Turbo Yugen presence. Um, I mean, they, they treat us like rock and roll royalty, and they, you know, we're, we're well received everywhere we go. 
and um, you know you, you wouldn't believe like you know how excited people are like the, the Turbo Yugen they just love Turbo Yugen. And what is Turbo Yugen? Turbo Yugen is basically a worldwide social club that's a Turbo Negro fan club but it's gotten way bigger than the band. I mean, it's it's worldwide. There's even a chapter in Dubai. Wow. Um, and they're so enthusiastic about the Yugen and about Turbo Negro that now that Turbo Negro has a new singer and Hank is gone, you know, a lot of people have actually told me, like, you know, like, you guys are as close as I will ever get to seeing the real Turbo Negro, which I don't... I don't... um. I don't take that as um, I take it as a compliment, but I don't take it as you know that we're better than the real Turban Negra. I take it as some people, you know, it's like ACDC with Bon Scott, you know, right. that there's some people who are just they just love like Ozzy was Sabbath, you know, that like yeah. after that it just wasn't the same. But the new Turban Negra record's awesome, and, and the show's really good. It's it's taking a little bit of a different approach, but. Hank was such an icon, you know, I put on the top hat and the makeup, and I got the denim cape and the cane and the leather gloves, and people just freaked the hell out, you know, and that's, it's really... And to awesome. some degree, I guess, I mean, fuck, I mean, that is a fictional character. I mean, that it, that guy ain't that guy either, like, in real life, you know, and, and there is some, I mean, you know, one of my favorite musicians, um, you know, had gotten to this point where he was like, I don't want to play music anymore, it's all been done. You know, like, Iggy Pop's The Idiot is the high water mark. You know, I, there's no point in me doing it because it's already there uh, as that record. And then he went, well, wait a minute. It's never been, it hasn't been done by me. And even if I attempt to do exactly the same thing, there's something different about it just because it's me doing it. Yeah. You know, so this, this cover band, you know, you, you guys are doing your take on these roles. These are characters, you know, it's, it is like a fucking stage show i mean there's oh, there's so, all yeah. there's all characters they're all they have fictional personalities to a degree uh yeah it's like the punk rock village people up there yeah it's kind of funny because it makes you, you go back to you know when you had the molly crew backpack thing like molly crew were not ever even goof kidding around about being gay but like uh turbo negro do pretend that to some degree that they're like they're 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 a sailor bar group of guys or something. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely some uh, homoeroticism going on. And you're like one of those macho dudes that I've ever known. Like, I'm married what enough I... to put on my lipstick. <laughs> what did Nikki Six say about that? With the trash can? Um, you can paint a trash can pink, but it's still a trash it's still can. still a trash can, that's right. Um, well, so, yeah, I mean, and I guess, fuck, the, the point of playing rock and roll is to entertain people. And like, you, there's this act, and there's this stuff, and there are these songs already been written, and people want to see it. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Plus, you actually get what you're in it for, out of it. But yeah, I mean, we got, you know, we 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 dub ourselves, you know, it's just, you know, our, um, whatever you would say about. It. We call ourselves the world's greatest tribute to Turbo Negro, and we are. I mean, there's other Turbo Negro tribute bands out there, but none of them have have Darrington on guitar. And you know none of none of them they, they don't they don't come close. And some people that may end up hearing this will be like, "Hey, Hank Von Randall, he's a cocky son of a bitch." But I'm just saying, we put in the time, we put in the work, and Tab's probably practicing guitar today at some point. And 
you know, Euro Boy from Turbo Negro is is a is a beast on guitar. Yeah, and drummer is sick. You know, so <clears throat> it's tight and it's catchy and it's um, you know, they call it formula rock and roll. We got the formula. We got the blueprints. I'm not an architect. I don't have the intellect, but I can build you a damn house. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That was a lyric. What's that? Self-destructive bust, exactly. I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and, and, and right. They're a formula band, too. I mean, they're, that makeup is Alice Cooper. I mean, like Hank is doing, that's a, you know, he's, um, that's a nod to that kind of thing. Exactly. And, and all of their songs obviously reference all the bands that they like. You know, what's fucking so. original anymore? What did you, you once told me that, uh, was it Merle Haggard that said this, or Waylon Jennings? Let's get us some, a pen and paper and go. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a Billy Joe Shaver song, but Waylon made a whole lot of money off of it, and I guess he got mad at some point and was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna uh, use any more of my songs." And you know, these guys rip off my songs, and uh, Waylon and Willie had a song that said, uh, "You get a pen, and I'll get a paper, and we're gonna steal ourselves some songs." You know, so they were like, "Yeah, it's what, fucking what, always what, been there." And I mean, the Super it, Sucker said, "What can you do that ain't been done?" You know? Yeah. Um. So I mean. Robert Johnson was, you know, stealing somebody's blues licks, and somebody stole his, and and on it goes, on it goes. It's not, I mean, rock and roll. Alan Freed said, "A rock and roll is a river that has absorbed many streams." It's always exactly. been about that, and like, what spin can you put on it, you know? And just by very, you know, virtue of the fact that it's you doing it, there's that's the beginning Something of the organically different. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I would, I, I, you know, you are getting a little bit of the itch to do something else that's really Randy. Well, I come up with song ideas all the time. I just don't have anybody. I mean, I've gotten to the point where, like, I would gladly just give another band a song I wrote, you know, and let them do it their way, and, you know, it would be an outlet. But I come up with song ideas all the time, and, uh, you know, talk to a few people about doing the original band, but the only way I would do it is I'd have to have a really good band that was willing to do you know, something to where, like, you know, like the Rolling Stones would do a country song and then a blues song and then a really kicking rock and roll song. It had to be something where it's not just, you know, I don't want to get pigeonholed into uh, this is the kind of band we do. I just want to be a rock and roll band with the freedom of doing, you know, hey, if we want to do a Hank Williams cover and do it our way, you know, George Thurgood did it, so why not? You know, I mean, like, you know, if we want to do, um, if we want to write a song that's, you know, got the stones dripping off of it, you know, so what, you know, we'll, We'll just um, do whatever we want, but that'll probably probably not happen. Well, in the meantime, you you got uh, Apocalypse Dudes and Barstool Heroes uh, upcoming shows, websites, any of that kind of stuff you want to record on here? Um, yeah, I mean Barstool Heroes, um, we're playing all the time with Guns for Hire. Um, you can check us out on Facebook and you know any honky tonk dive backyard party wherever you wherever it's needed, we'll come and do it. Apocalypse Dudes, um, July 7th at Bandito's with a legendary punk rock band out of Pittsburgh called The Cheats. Uh, it's going to be a great show. It's free, as always, because Sean's the man. And you just look, at, look out for us if it sounds like something you dig. You know, we'd, we'd love to have you. Well, sounds good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. I got to piss bad as a motherfucker.